0: Jaspreet Boparai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: Welcome back. You're with Greenwashed. I'm Jaspreet with my co host Don Nicholson here. And today we have another guest with us. Somebody who, as as I often said, it's a repeated theme here. We have been very lucky. To connect with people over the last few years, you know, not just on the show, I'm talking about pretty much the last few years, people who have sort of been the resistance, who've sort of spoken up, and who in another life, I know one for myself, but never have connected with. I mean, just look at who I'm talking to right now Don Nicholson, well out of the league of actually doing a radio show with an ex national president of Feds, but what do I know? But, anyways, our guest today is Helen Mandeno. Now, Helen is somebody I connected with early last year, early 2022, and, you know, Facebook friends, and it's for the first time today that I'm putting a face to the name. A dry stock farmer from the south Waikato. Helen and her husband farm sheep, beef, and dairy grazers on a 900-hectare family farm. I believe you have two young girls, Helen? And- yes, sis. that's right. Welcome to the show. Please tell us a bit more about yourself. I've, I have a brief of your CV. I know you have an undergraduate degree in biological sciences, but there's a whole lot more to you.
2: Tell Thank me you for having me on, Don and Jasper. It's um, It's a real honor to be here. Uh, So, a bit about me, I was born in um, Auckland, Uh, definitely not a city girl whatsoever though, I'm happiest in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Both my parents um, come from farming backgrounds, so it's obviously in the blood. Um, Yeah, always had a real love of the outdoors and nature and um, that sort of thing, always been very inquisitive which is, I guess, what led me to studying a Bachelor of Science at Auckland University. Um, I then spent much of my 20s um, traveling overseas, um, back and forth to Europe and America, uh, traveled through Nepal and Africa a couple of times. So, um, yeah, got some really good life experience over there. Um, Came back and had a couple of interesting roles in regulatory affairs um, in the dietary supplement um, industry, which, um, yeah, I I was really good to, to gain some knowledge in that industry. I then met my husband and moved down to his family farm in South Waikato, uh, we've got two lovely children that love the outdoors. If they're not on their horses, they're on their dirt bikes. So we're very lucky. And um yeah, probably best not to count the amount of pet sheep, lambs, chickens, horses, etc. <laughs> um, so yeah, love uh love farming. Um and we're heavily involved in our local community. My husband's um the chairman of the local hall, um, the um, head coach of our local pony club. Um, And because of who I am, I wanted to be well educated with regards to farming as well. So I have completed three Massey University short courses. Um, the first one was advanced soil conservation and then the second one was sustainable nutrient management and the last one was farm environment planning.
0: And, and boy, that's a, that's great that you have taken the time to do that. What have you found in those courses that you've been able to apply inside the farm gate and and you think other farmers should apply or, or, or was it more like... Uh, what you found was pretty much common practice inside the farm gate for most people. Is there, is there big things that need to change in your mind based on uh, what you've learned in those three courses?
2: Well, I loved the depth of knowledge that I gained from the sustainable nutrient management course, um, because that Enabled me to have a lot more control about our fertilizer um, plan, which was great. I sort of felt that I gathered a a really good depth of knowledge there, which, yeah, put us a lot more in control in the driving seat rather than just having to believe someone else. So that's been huge that we, um, yeah, we drive drive that, and we made some big changes um, as a result of that too, which was
0: really exciting. So, um, mon- so monetary changes or or application of nutrients changes?
2: Application of nutrients changes, right. Right. yes, yeah. yes. Um, other things, I was able to look at the farm um, from a true sort of soil conservation way as well. So that's helped with our improving our environmental footprint. Um, It was also a good way of, um, of learning the sort of differences in the practical versus the academic um, application of these things. Um, there were a few other farmers on the courses, which was great, and we connected and um, and compared notes. Um, and then there were there just the true academics. And, um, yeah, interesting to see the differing viewpoints of um, practice versus academic. So it was really good to be able to to see it from a farmer's point of view um, and know the limitations from an academic point of view, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. And so, did you find that the academic uh, people that don't come out and own and run farms, did they sort of treat a fair bit of it like uh, the rainfall's the same, the soil type's the same, the topography's the same? Um, when we know on our farms everything is different. And the trouble is my observation is that many people think that haven't that aren't actively farming think that one size fits all and um, I would imagine you would suggest that it might not.
2: Yes, definitely. And I think the biggest thing that jumped out for me with regards to the farm environment planning course was the lack of knowledge of our budgetary constraints and, and time as well. They, they seem to think there was an endless amount of time and money to spend on um, the dream projects when the reality of farming is, is quite different. So there was a real gap in their practical knowledge there, which was, yeah, really sad to see, actually um so that really jumped out at me
0: yeah none of these environmental enhancements that we're sort of like to do um come cheap uh and you know i'm happy that um new zealand farmers don't take handouts from anybody to do the the good things on their farms but it's getting to the point again isn't it where the expectation is just too much uh, especially on a year when uh, oh when times are bad you know we're expected to still push on with the dreams of the regulator and yeah the farm plans uh, i know in waikato and southland are exercising a whole lot exercising a whole lot of minds let alone a whole lot of um budgets so yeah look good on you for um for doing that and and observing that because i think people like you do need to be in your community sort of exposing this stuff Yes. Uh, because it's, yes. you know, the Minister for Primary Industry ain't going to expose it to the country. It's going to have to be grassroots people that do. So exactly. just moving on, um, you know, part of the reason we've got together for for this um, chat was around this emissions caper. And uh, I've just read an article from Radio New Zealand today that the very first sentence uh, has, has it wrong for me, um, they talk about uh, agriculture being the dominant um, emissions uh, in New Zealand and causing the most global warming. Well, one, um, no one can tell you how much global warming their emissions are going to give uh, in one year, let alone five or 10 years. But two, that first sentence of that Radio New Zealand article is completely fallacious. Now, I hope hope we can unbundle that today. What's your uh, introduction to all this? What, what, what? I know you're interested in it. what. What motivates you?
2: That's a really good question. Um, yeah, so I think what all, what started this all off is um, I'm not sure if it's the scientist in me or the critical thinker in me, but I'm very, very wary of statements such as "the science is settled." Um, as these phrases have never been used before in the history of science, and it would mean we've stopped progressing as a civilization as well. Um, so I've been really alarmed by those statements. Um, and I've been closely following the emissions tax proposals, as I believe it's the biggest threat that New Zealand agriculture has ever faced. Um and, yeah, looking at this from a real sort of dry stock farmer's perspective as well, but I'm sure that dairy farmers share um, very similar concerns. And, um, yeah, let's face it, um, what's happening right now is a scam on biblical levels of deception, Um, how does a normal and vital greenhouse gas that exists in the parts per million range in our atmosphere somehow gain the function of completely dominating our climate in every single government policy? None of it makes sense. And one thing that really um, angers me has been – I know our one source of truth government likes to use these phrases, but it beggars belief that our own levy body is parroting them as well. It's also pretty insulting to our intelligence too.
1: Yep. And I will read out a bit of what, uh, Helen, you publicly read out at a beef and lamb meeting in Tiro earlier this year. Right. And you say to them, and I'll, I'm, I'm, these are your words that I'm reading out, I have been usually disappointed with the direction of Beef and Lamb over the last few years in their willingness to jump so quickly onto the emissions bus and throw farmers under it while the buses, quickly gathering speed. Beef and Lamb tried to package and sell the Hivaka Ekenoa dream to farmers under the guise of we know best. Even though farmers always knew that the devil is in the detail and taxing emissions would be extremely detrimental to our industry. It was very strategic of the government to use the sector's levy-funded bodies to get the emissions pricing over the line. You certainly didn't mince your words then. Can you tell me what was the reaction in the room when you read this out at a public meeting? And this, I should say, listeners, this is just one paragraph out of four pages that Helen read out. So, you know, this is maybe maybe 5% of what she said that day. But, yeah, to be a you know fly on the wall that day.
2: Uh, sure. So, yes, w- that was very interesting. Um, I read out the four-page document and um, all the other farmers present uh, applauded me and asked for a copy, uh, which <laughs> I thought was very interesting. But I did get the death stairs from the um, Beef and Lamb and the Silver Fern Farm representatives. Um, basically I was left feeling really uneasy and it was really clear that they've swallowed the Kool-Aid and are adamant that they're on the right path. And when I sent a follow-up email with further questions, one of them being, is Beef and Lamb prepared to challenge the government on climate science, especially in light of the fact that new science is emerging all the time? The reply I received from the Beef and Lamb manager was, and I quote, no, the weight of evidence is becoming incontrovertible that human activity is impacting the climate. Even if you choose to believe that it is part of some natural cycle, that doesn't mean we should do nothing to minimise the change. Investing resources to argue whether climate change is man-made or not is not a productive use of levees, unquote. So, yeah, I'll just let that statement and its implications sink in for everyone. Um, But, yeah, personally, that moral crusade really, really concerns me.
1: And this is what, Dawn, I have often spoken about, Dawn, isn't it, that our levy-funded bodies somehow need to be seen to do something, to Mm -hmm. be doing something, regardless of how ineffective unnecessary mm-hmm. expensive and downright suicidal that might that might be. They mm-hmm. why why is this insistence done? what do you think?
0: oh it's uh you know that it's the machinery of of a of a compulsory levy. Uh, you know they've they've come into an advocacy space as well as doing the r and d and extension work. Um, and, you know, my view is that beef and lamb and dairy and Zed shouldn't be anywhere near advocacy. Um, Helen, may, you may have an opinion about that, but I've just read um, the Farmers Weekly of August 14, and uh, the C, uh, sorry, the chair of um, Farmers Weekly is, is saying here, we're, the headline is, we're here for farmers large and small, and she gives a whole lot of um, reasons, and uh, advocacy is only 40% of their business. Well, advocacy shouldn't be any of it. Um, and so... Helen, yeah, I've I've talked about this a lot. Um, and so what's your view about the is it is I don't levy uh the, the so when we to listeners, when we talk about levies, we're talking about um agencies like Dairy and Z and Beef and Lamb, and that they have others for different industries, different prod, produce uh uh entities. Um, but they're like a kilogram on a um kilogram of me sorry a, a cents and a dollar sorry wrong again it's a um a price on a kilogram or a lamb a kilogram of milk solids or a lamb um or something like that so it builds up quite a revenue stream for the for these entities and of course they use that supposedly for the farmer good the industry good it's about whether that funding is giving value so sorry that was a long way I asked you the question um Helen are you observing um, something's not right here? Uh, feds seem to be sort of hunting in the same pack as the other two that I've mentioned. When Feds was, once upon a time, the independent voice of farming, doesn't appear to be anymore.
2: I I agree 100% with you, um, Don. What's the point of them being in advocacy space when they are doing... Such a detrimental job to our industry. It, it makes it makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's very clear that they are in bed with the government.
1: Now I'm looking at the consolidated statement of uh, revenue and expenses for September 22 for beef and lamb, and it says levies received close to 30 million dollars. That's that's a big sum of money. So, and it is, we don't even have a choice there, to, do we Don? So it's its a compulsory deduction, just like for dairy farmers like us?
0: Yeah, it's a compulsory de- deduction. And of course, um, Federated farms that I used to, to chair uh, is voluntary payment. So quite a different beast. And that's why I keep talking about the independent voice of farming. The one that's got um, no levy, the one that's got voluntary membership should be the clean, principled, um, you know, top of the pack. So... Anyway, look—that's uh, that's a story that uh, we can talk about a bit later as we go through the the science of, of of the discussion that we want to get to next. You know, effectively, what we've noted, Helen, and I think you've picked it up, is that the science around methane has been a bit distant. The way sci- uh, methane and the the um, its supposed warming effects and its its negative effects in the atmosphere have been overstated at, almost to the point you would argue, I think, of deceit and deception. What's your take on the latest uh, sort of, or what's your understanding of the latest science that you can put your hand on?
2: That's that's 100% right. And I think it's really important that people know the history of the GWP metrics, okay? So I'll outline this for those who have never heard this before. Um The initial global warming potential metric for methane is called GWP 100, and it states that methane is 28 times more warming than CO2. So because agriculture is such a large part of our economy, using this metric is very significant in a New Zealand context, as it calculates that methane from farming contributes 40% of New Zealand's greenhouse gas emissions. So these calculations have determined all of New Zealand's pledges and budgets with regards to emissions. However, there was a new calculation from IPCC themselves in 2018 that stated that the previous GWP calculation of methane was incorrect and the new and improved metric is called GWP-STAR. Therefore, Mm. using this new metric means New Zealand's agricultural methane contribution is now 10% and not 40%. So this is obviously huge news for New Zealand farming and potentially huge for our economy. What it means is that all the targets and pledges that were made under the Paris Accord are based on the flawed metric of GWP 100 and are three to four times worse than they actually are therefore obviously everything needs to be reworked and recalculated and that's all our targets pledges and calculations but our minister for the environment james shaw refuses to budge and we've even had our very own research scientists jock Allison and professor david frame who's the director of the new zealand climate change research institute and also miles allen from oxford university have expressed their grave concerns to James Shaw regarding his refusal to acknowledge the new GWP metric. So if New Zealand was to accept the new GWP star metric, it could save New Zealand billions of dollars, be better for our farmers, and prove that New Zealand is a world leader in low emissions. This is the really important factor. All our current targets and pledges which are enshrined in every piece of legislation, are still based on the old GWP 100 metric. And all of the above points highlight the corruption of the government with regards to calculating New Zealand's agriculture emissions.
0: So so why is it, did you think, that the very latest AR6, um, assessment report 6 from the IPCC, um, it states that um, methane has been over- uh, over-emphasized in our inventory by a factor of three to four. Why do you think they wouldn't change that and get it back to, you know, obviously a quarter or a third of what that 40% you talked about is? And it would make a massive change and it would take the foot off the brake, uh, the throat of farming. Um, Why do you think James Shaw isn't recommending that this is all happening? Has to be entirely political, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, you you tell me. It, it, biggest belief, I, I I shake my head. I can't and work it out. Um, yeah, I don't every, think any any, uh, any logical farmer can work that one out.
0: And and at that meeting in Tirol, you even talked about the um, the Harper and Van Wingarden paper um, that talks about uh, um, there's no proven reason to reduce methane. Um, And they say uh, in their abstract proposals to place harsh restrictions on methane emissions because of warming fears are not justified by facts. Um, Farmers are starting to know that. Yes. And yet yet we have not only the Ministry for the Environment, but our own farming entities won't won't talk about it. Why is that, do you think?
2: Yes, 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 yes. This is my whole point. Mm. Exactly. We've got increasing evidence that the GWP metrics are just models and they don't line up with observations. The GWP lab experiments were done with dry air and it doesn't mimic real life as there is always a lot of vapour in the air. When you put methane into dry air, it has a warming effect. But when you put it into normal air, which is water vapour, then methane has no warming effect at all therefore methane warming may be purely theoretical and in practice methane may not warm the atmosphere at all so this is a huge elephant in the room as far as i'm concerned
0: well it is for us as well because we know this stuff and we know that in a real and mixed atmosphere um, what haper and van wingarden came up with said um, is virtually impossible in fact the warming effect is minuscule even if you double um, methane um, it's just it, it just can't have the effect that we're being targeted for. So, again, farmers uh, at Tirao and around the country have heard this. Uh, recently we had Tom Sheehan go around talk, yes. talk about the Happer and Van Wingarden yes. papers, and it's not just Happer and Van Wingarden, by the by the way. There's other papers by Coe and others that that follow this track. Um, why, again, so not only have we got GW Star not being used, we've potentially could have GWP um of less than one.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and,
0: and and why can't we get that through?
2: I know, oh. I know. That's what I don't understand. And that's what I want to highlight. Like we yes. have the this new science and and these scientists who are putting their neck on the line, they have got nothing to gain from this. They are throwing our industry a lifeline. And why is our levy body and others refusing to engage with them? That's what I want to know. None of that makes sense. Well, I have you know
1: tried to look at it, and I've looked at the Ministry for Environment's their guidance documents for organisations on how to calculate uh, their emissions. And in that particular document called Ministry Guidance, August twenty two, for uh, details of measuring emissions for organisation, it says that even though there is updated methodology available in the 2019 refinement to IPCC standards, we have calculated the calculations right now that is being forceded upon everyone using equations in the 2006 IPCC guidelines for, nat- for national greenhouse gas inventories. And we are trying not to muddle them up because otherwise, it is just going to get uh, too much. We are going to stick to what we began with. And that is pretty much all there is to it. They are not budging from their 2006 figures. 2006 figures. How many years is
2: that? 17? It's criminal. It's, it's, it's criminal behavior.
0: So, so when we re- uh, ran the fight against ridiculous taxes in 2003, you know, we sort of saw the hockey stick graphs and things like that. And you sort of had to believe because we were very trusting. Um, and, you know, there was something to see there. So, uh, but it didn't feel right. Now we've got, I mean, 2006 is the stuff that Jasper's just written about, uh, read out. Um, but in 2023, we've got light years of information um, more than we had in 2003. But we've got our, um, not only our, ministries and our politicians. We've got our levy bodies. The people we pay to represent our individual sovereignty won't stand up for us.
1: It is written very clearly that using updated methodologies in the 2019 refinement would be inconsistent with the New Zealand greenhouse gas inventory 1990 to 2020 reporting at the time of publication of this guide. It might be used or considered for future inventories. But until then, use the example calculations done using AR4 GWPs. AR4, so 2006 reports greenhouse warming potential calculations. This is someone laughing all the way to the bank at our expense. There's no other words for this. Yeah. Like I said, it's a scam of
2: biblical levels of deception.
1: It's shocking. I mean, they have created so many of these tentacles, haven't they? In this much time, don' insidious, and uh, one person, you know, backing the other, the other backing uh, the third. It's a gravy train.
0: Uh, oh, oh, there's the climate methane pledges and things like that. There's there's banking, um, uh, you know, sustainable priv- finance guidelines. There's, there's yeah. all this stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So
0: it's not. So Helen, if you're um, a bit lost on that name. I can't yeah. blame you because there's so many damned um uh entities that are yeah. feeding at the trough of, of the methane yeah. story. Yeah.
2: But you know what? There's there are so many scientists speaking out now, and how can we ignore them? What I discovered was there's a um organization called um climate intelligence or Clintel. Yes. Yeah. For short, yes. and it's a global network of over 1,500 scientists and professionals. Mm. And um, their website was amazing. I'll read out one of their quotes: "Climate science should be less political, while climate policy should be more scientific. Computer models have many shortcomings and are not remotely plausible as global policy tools." There is no statistical evidence that global warming is intensifying hurricanes, floods, droughts and such like natural disasters or making them more frequent. However, there is ample evidence that CO2 mitigation measures are as damaging as they are costly, unquote. So that's just mind blowing. And that's a global network of scientists who are speaking up against this climate shame but we have our media
1: don't we and if there's one thing i've learned over this nonsense is the last three years and you know why people like me and don and all of us are chatting on this this alternative media is that the voices of reason are not amplified whereas if you have bright pink hair or an occasional funny looking handlebar mustache like my son would say you seem to get so much uh, you know of the spotlight mm. and just it it's unbelievable that we've reached a stage in this country built on the back of agriculture, absolutely now being hammered, hammered. And just the recent downturn in the Fonterra fortunes, they are not just farmer fortunes. Let me tell you that the ripple effects go so far yes. and wide in the community. Uh, a friend of mine who who we've also had on the show, Mark Warren, He commented on one of my posts today saying that when the second payout drop happened a few days ago, Mark wrote, he says, this might just go down in history as a time when the New Zealand recession turned into a depression. I hope he's wrong, but Mm. yeah, Mm. there is is a whole lot more to this. And that's why you've seen media paint farming in such a bad light, because where have we seen this before? During COVID, anyone? who was against the narrative, had to mm. be isolated yes, and, you know, sort of painted in a really bad light. It's the same thing now. It's coming in so handy that the farmer
2: bashing has gone on yes. for so
1: long that yes. if, if they go down the gurgler now,
2: people seem to think yeah. it won't affect them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We're, we know it's the <laughs> backbone of our economy, isn't it?
0: It is. So moving back to... um to to the methane uh, story, you know, you've you've alluded in some of your your notes um, about mitigation. Now, I I think it's a strange word, but let let's use it. Um, that means um, things that can be used to perhaps reduce methane in this instance. Um, how how do you view the mitigations that our entities like the greenhouse gas consortium and others are bringing? to the table? Have they brought anything to the table? And should they even bother? Have we spending too much money on that, chasing a dream? Is that what it is? Is this the empire building you talked about earlier?
2: Well, it's my personal opinion that they, they shouldn't be bothering, but they seem to um, have a different opinion. So these mitigation technologies, basically it's technology that reduces methane emissions, such as methane vaccines, methane boluses, feed inhibitors, and genetically modified forages. And um, this is where it gets quite deep with all the amount of money that has been spent. So I'll highlight some of these for you. Yeah. Um, I know my eyes Zealand, are
0: going
2: the Centre for Climate Action on Agricultural Emissions and its aims are to accelerate the research, development and commercialization of tools and technology to reduce emissions. So it's got two components. Its first component is um, AgriZero, which is the Centre for Climate Action Joint Venture, and it's a government partnership with partners such as Fonterra, ANSCO, Silverfern Farms, etc., and it will see $170 million invested over the first four years. And the goal was to help New Zealand farmers reduce their agriculture emissions by 30% by 2030. And its first funded project is the startup of the company Ruminant Biotech, which is developing a methane-inhibiting bolus. The second component is New Zealand Agricultural Greenhouse Gas Research Centre, and its goals are to enhance New Zealand's international reputation as a leader in agricultural greenhouse gas research by funding an innovative research programme of international quality and standing, and leading New Zealand's science input to the Global Research Alliance on Greenhouse Gases. And I'll walk you through how much money they're getting. Right, Beef and Lamb sheep Genetics Partnership, its industry partner is Beef and Lamb, and it received $2.2 million. Uh, Ruminant Biotech Program, its industry partner is Ruminant Biotech, uh, $7.8 million. Uh, here's a quote from their website. Our goal is to help New Zealand reach its emissions reductions targets and will set New Zealand up as a leader in the methane inhibitor industry globally, unquote. Right, we've got methane vaccine research, $2.5 million, and the greenhouse gas testing facility, $11.7 million. There's also been $25 million from the Ministry of Business Innovation and Employment's Endeavor Fund, Ag Research and Dairy NZ invested in genetically modified forages research to produce a gene-edited grass that reduces methane emissions. So it's not hard to see that methane mitigation is creating big job and career opportunities. There's lots of money to be made out there, isn't there,
0: and my understanding is you've understated it massively. Um, because isn't, isn't there a, a more new than likely gr- I have. <laughs> uh, there's some new climate change centre being set up. Uh, yeah, at a tune part of, of about the budget. Three hundred and sixty million. Mm. Um, uh, it's just it, it's unbelievable how this has grown like topsy since I started uh, sort of involving myself in this stuff about nineteen ninety eight, but. There we are, Helen. And you're paying for it now, and I'm not. Yes. <laughs> and but but other but other taxpayers are, and that's where I that's where my check uh, it annoys me. So yes. you know you're going through all that, there's a big problem, isn't there? There's a big problem around integrity. Is that how you're yes. seeing it? Yes. And, and how how is it that, you know, we're coming up to an election. Even if there's a political change, uh, a, a, a style change into a right of centre parties, or you know, I would argue they're just centre parties, um, is anything going to change? What is, what's what's going to be the circuit breaker?
2: Certainly nothing's going to change. I will read you out a... Um, I saw this in uh, yesterday's um, Farmers Weekly from uh, the national government. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A national government will remove the ban on gene technology, which will help give farmers the tools they need to reduce methane emissions, such as gene-edited crops, feed, and livestock. So there we go. There's not going to be any halts on the advancement of our biotechnology. But like you say, how can, this is what I struggle with, how can beef and lambs Direction and vision be so misaligned with your average farmers' directions and and visions.
0: Well, and and, and having gone around fifty meeting, you know, around the country and run fifty meetings, uh, reading page nineteen of the Farmers Weekly, you'd believe it's all tickety boo. And um, the chair, um, Kate Ackland, thinks um, it's, it's just part of their mission. They're uh, here for farmers, large and small. But for something that. Is so, and you know, we've got entities here that you might want to talk about this, Helen. It never sat well with me, and I lobbied against it. You know, farmers that had meetings at the field days, it's coming out now uh, in today's media uh, with the Prime Minister in 2019, they were having meetings uh, privately with the Prime Minister and the Minister of For Primary Industry, and they thought they could. Um, sort this out, we'd do an emissions pricing regime. So they sent away um, the teams and developed this HWEN concept. And and they came back with a concept that was going to actually have the entities that you pay into um, supporting a tax on themselves. That's never been done (laughs) in the world. Never been done in the world. But that's what they came up with. I know. And then we we have these farming entities supporting that. World first stupidity, I call it. Yes, yes, but I agree. How could the prime minister think that she could get away with that at the time? I mean, was she such a saleswoman, such a yeah, a hard case, um <laughs> you know, salesperson that she could convince him that that was so important? How do you think that could? Who? We've just talked about the empire building. That seems to be the nub of all this. That's what I'm deducing from your discussion and your notes that there's an empire building regime yes. going on here and to yes. hell to hell with the farmers. Yes. Yes. Right.
2: I, I I agree. And it yeah, I mean they've obviously got something to gain because we certainly don't. And I've been struggling to understand their direction, but I've found some gems, which maybe makes me understand, <laughs> but not okay with where they're coming from. I'll right. read this out. Now here's a quote from a recent Beef and Lamb media release. Our vision for the future is one where we're demonstrating that New Zealand farmers are world leading through measuring and reporting emissions at farm level. Where we're hitting science based targets, investing in the research and development of mitigation technologies. These are widely available and the market is incentivizing farmers to use them. Unquote. <laughs> Unbelievable, yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, look, I've been watching for years um, ministers, successive ministers, but James Shaw specifically um, in recent times talking about this brand premium. Yeah, you know, brand New Zealand uh the premium will gain in the marketplace if we had to tick all these boxes and of course you know when Jasper and I look at the ESGs and all the rest of this stuff around sustainability we know that um, everyone's being squeezed into a wedge or a straitjacket um and it's going to be well that's where he's got us he's got us in this position if you don't tick all these boxes don't do all this know your number don't pay your emissions pricing we're going to get less for our produce. Well, actually, um, based on all that compliance you just talked about um, and the taxes that they want to apply, might it just be that we just, let's have a voluntary scheme and see see how it f- sort of, whether it survives or fails. I mean, this coercive concept, I think, is what you're getting at here. Um, it's just, it's all cost for no gain to inside the farm gate. Exactly.
2: It's complete virtue signalling. And how can their views be so misaligned? Like, I I honestly think they've lost their way. I I found this in Beef and Lamb's submission to the New Zealand government. Okay, this is their... um, COP28, so Conference of the Party's Submission to the New Zealand Government, quote, that New Zealand should take a leadership position on agricultural greenhouse gases and work with like-minded others on issues such as greenhouse gas metrics. Here's another one. New Zealand should be seeking to be seen as a leader on combating global warming, both in international negotiations and through our domestic policies and actions that will reduce temperature increase, unquote. Now, if that doesn't ruffle every fox feathers, I'm not sure what will, because it certainly ruffled mine. Yeah. Now, you you look at their, uh,
1: you know, financial statements, again, talking about 30.9 million, they say, separately that that's what we got funded we have they said what we are doing among different things they say we champion the sector that's where your levies yeah. go yes methane targets beef and lamb continues to call on the government to report annually on new warming as well as gross emissions and in 2022 started working on a joint strategy with feds and dairy nz to get the government to amend new zealand's methane targets reduction targets to ensure they are aligned with the science we continue to push for the latest science to be applied in this review, citing the recent IPCC recognition of GWP as a change in scientific understanding. Are these guys, they spend millions on their scientists and experts. Where's Happer Garden? Where is Tom Sheehan's reports? Where is yes. the utter irrelevance of this as a gas? Yes. This is all the Levy-funded bodies, as well as, Don, your non-Levy-funded body. Feds, all of these have gotten together to sell us down the, down yes. the river.
2: yes absolutely that's very evident and, 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 know, and one would have thought that at least
1: someone would think yeah you know all right let's let's screw them let's screw them a little bit let's not yeah. kill the goose that laid the golden egg in. yeah yeah yeah
2: that's that's right and can you see that world leading theme pop up all the time? I see, I see where this is. So hitting. who 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 gave them the
1: authority? I mean, regardless of what, how say yes. you quantify forty percent of New Zealand's emissions? I add 80. The fact still remains that our share of the world's emissions, even if you believe that they are going to destroy us all and in you know incinerate us all, are still zero point one seven percent gross. That's less than a quarter of the percent. Less than a quarter. Why do we need to be a world leader? We already are. In fact, we should be recognized for what we've already done. And all this nonsense about championing farms and getting them a better price. Well, let me tell you something. Pontera, farmer here, supplier. We are demonstrably New Zealand as a country produces the lowest carbon footprint milk in the world. Yes. We're getting peanuts right now. Close yes. to seventy-five percent of New Zealand Fonterra farmers this year may not make a profit, depending, of course, on their debt levels. Uh, so, where uh, is the stadium? Who quantifies this? What does this championing mean? Either, if either you measure something, and otherwise, all your championing is a dismal failure. Just shut the shop, stop taking yeah. these compulsory levies, and go home. Yeah. You're not worth this. You're not just. You're just not worth the trust of the farming uh, farmers.
2: Yeah. Good point.
0: Well, Jas- Jaspreet's got this line, comply till you die, and uh, that's that's where it, where it looks like. I mean, I, I've just opened up, as we're talking, a study in Australia that talks about uh, and surround red tape uh, in, uh, in mining and agriculture. It says, uh, since the year 2000, spending on Commonwealth environmental bureaucracy, so just environmental bureaucracy, has increased by 470% while the size of the ag industry nationwide has increased by only 175%. So oh. the Commonwealth's environmental bureaucracy has grown at three times the rate of the ag sector. And for every job created in an environmental bureaucracy, 14 jobs have been destroyed in Australia's ag sector.
2: Oh.
0: Um, that's okay. that's unbelievable stuff. I hope to get the author of this on our show in the, in the next few weeks, but... Um, Do you think that's happening in New Zealand? Do you think we're feeding a fair few people outside the farm gate and they're destroying um, jobs inside the farm gate? Not only jobs, they're they're destroying enthusiasm to to be a farmer. Uh, Oh,
2: without a shadow of a doubt, I think morale's never, ever been so low as it is now. It's impossible to see the wood for the the trees, to be honest.
0: Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I think the 80s were pretty bad. And, you know, that's my beef too, Helen. And, you know, you're too young to, to um, realise the, the words I'm going to uh, to <laughs> say here. Yeah, um, yeah we, we had our ETS in 1985. It's called an efficiency trading scheme. And that is subsidy-free farming. Yes. And I've made the point that if other countries in the world come to our status, our gold standard, then we can start talking about emissions.
2: Yes. No No
0: yeah. one has. And you know what? Yes. None of our levy bodies want to talk this story, although oh, i in saying that I did hear one sort of make mutterings the other day, but I remember that a former Minister for Climate Change and, 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 and Trade, he said to me, uh, red-faced one day when I brought this up in a big meeting, that if you think New Zealand farmers can compete with the rest of the world, if they were all subsidy-free, um, you're a dreamer. And I said, bring it on, Minister. Now, I still stand by that. You should be able to face, even though we're distant from the markets uh, and we're a massive exporter of of, of food products, um, we should be able to compete. That's our job, compete. Um, but, you know, obviously the sentiment at the... And the halls of power was that uh, no, no, New Zealand farmers couldn't compete if we were all on an even footing and they were subsidy uh, unsubsidized in in Europe. Well, we know that there is massive environmental or they called multifunctionality payments going into the farmers of um, the EU uh, and even probably now into the um, the Europe the British farmers. So where the playing field's not even, regardless of how we cut or slice it so you know i don't know uh, helen you're still got the um got the bit between the teeth and you still want to be farming and it's all good what's your hmm. um what's your attitude and uh, what's your research tell you about gm and um perhaps gene editing what's your research saying to you on that i mean is there here's a question for you um i and i i don't know much about this um i was asked the other day is there any GE or GM food in New Zealand? And I said, well, heck, I don't know, but I assume soy milk is probably from GM soy. Don't know. Um, Do you know the answer to that?
2: All I know is we've got very little, if any, currently GM-approved foods. We, We still have a... Predominantly GM free status. Right. Um, I've been researching consumer attitudes to GM food because beef and lamb are telling us that um, our savior is going to be these mitigation technologies, and that includes gene edited, low methane producing grasses. Um, I am extremely sceptical of them steamrolling ahead of this. Anyway, so what I found was there was an interesting American report published called The Public Perceptions of Genetically Modified Foods, a National Study of American Knowledge and Opinion. It stated that less than half of those surveyed believe it is safe to consume GM foods. Almost two-thirds feel serious accidents involving GM foods are bound to happen. And 54% feel GM foods threaten the natural order of things. We saw very clearly that consumers did not embrace the impossible burger. And personally, I don't believe they're going to embrace this biotech Frankenstein meat we're going to produce either. I don't honestly think that our premium consumers are going to choose meat produced with genetically modified food in its food chain over meat produced without it. So
0: I've just, as, as we're talking, sorry, sorry, Jasper, I interrupted. Um, it says um, there's no genetically modified crops grown in commercially in New Zealand at the moment. No fresh fruit, vegetables or meat is sold in New Zealand as genetically modified. Uh, however, some processed foods may contain approved genetically modified ingredients that have been imported. So we've got a ways to go. I know that um, there's people talking about uh um, the old the old status was case by case. Everything would be uh, assessed, and of course, I don't think, as we've just said, nothing's got through the gate. So uh, I'm not sure where this will go, but it's. I think the it's good that people um, ask questions and put don't put a stopper on everything unless they've got um, very good reason. So uh, let's hope that the, um, the authorities do have the right ambition, not just to satiate the commercial interests, but to uh, also assess what society leans as acceptable. I think that's probably where it's got to end up. And, uh, you know, it's a bit like the nuclear story the way I read it. Um, you know, we can push a lot of stuff down the road and some may never come to New Zealand. We don't know. But mm. it's you're definitely going to have to have the conversation again because it's 20 years since we last had it.
2: Yeah, it uh, just cons- concerns me though, Don. We're already the um, lowest emissions producers in the world, and we've got there by um, only using sort of natural. still natural, non-GM yeah, yeah. Yeah. processes, as in good farming practice, uh, improved genetics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so we've got this this beautiful reputation to Go and undo that all um, through growing genetically modified foods. Again, we're we're being sold a, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist in the in the first place. We can't we can undo that, and and we're we're told we're, beef and lamb keep telling us that we've got a premium market. I really don't think that they want to be eating product that's been eating genetic new novel genetically modified forages
0: right and so uh, about 2005 i think it was there was a um, an otago university um, professor dr john knight talked about how he'd done um surveys and this document was called trust and country image and yeah, you know, that's that was absolutely what new zealand was trustworthy safe food producers yes. yeah so yeah you know, it, it, but but here's the rub isn't it you know, the pressure for you to produce more out of each hectare or the same but with less input costs is not coming from the market. No, that's right. It's coming from our internal forces who are putting all these costs and that Queensland example about the regulator costs Mm. uh, Mm. uh, is the problem. So, yeah. I know this has turned into an opinion from me again. Um, it's quite common, isn't it, um, <laughs> um but but the pressure to take more from the environment in New Zealand is coming from the people in suits, not yes, n- not yeah. the overseas market, the New Zealand no. um, job scheme. Mm-hmm. And until mm-hmm. we get that through uh, to farmers, I think we're going to constantly have these battles. Um, we're going to have to say as groundswells do it, no more just say no and we'll get all the people we'll get all the marketers saying oh well that's that's naive that's uh that's underselling yourself and it's going to cost you dearly it's well,
1: already costing us
0: that's the look point.
1: at the dairy farmers they are not earning anything for, for the world's lowest uh, you know emissions mm. milk yeah. and yet you have beef and lamb spending i'm just looking at 14 odd million dollars of your levies on Virtually, what they call in what do they call the supporting farming excellence? I mean, word salads, and that's Mm -hmm. why I stumble over these words. And that includes how does it support farmer excellence? Greenhouse gas workshops to help farmers know their numbers, trees within farms, opportunities with carbon workshops. Seriously, indoctrination workshops. I mean, people should literally be voting feet and stop going to these, let those be empty rooms. That echo with just the you know the sounds of the one odd instructor there and the odd uh, attendant or two. But let that be it. It's when these farmers tend to go along to these places, I think often also for socialization, seeing another face. Yeah. Often you haven't been off the farm for a while. And there you go. And for me, this is really galling. We are paying, just like we paid our media to lie to us,
0: we yes. are paying
1: our levy-funded bodies to not just lie yes. to us, Sheer sheer blatant indoctrinate us in the science from 2006, AR4, that's the United Nations uh, Governing Environmental Body, IPCC's AR4 report that came out in 2006. That's the science we are following New Zealand. And uh, somehow it is supposed to magically get a whole lot of dollars raining down. I ain't seen anything yet. I won't quite hold my breath. But uh, Helen, before we go, is there anything else you would like to talk about that Don and I may not have covered? I know we had a huge brief here, but the
2: floor um, is yours. Um, basically, I I just want to give my personal thoughts and feedback on on where I think uh, beef and lamb. My my opinion of beef and lamb. Mm. So what I I want to know is why is beef and lamb driving this at Operation Warp Speed when most New Zealand farmers can see the big picture outlook on how dangerous it is to be using fast-track novel biotechnology such as methane vaccines, methane boluses, and gene-edited grasses, who in their right mind would volunteer their country to be a guinea pig for this ideological nonsense. We would never be able to reverse the harm done when problems arise. To me, it's obvious that Beef and Lamb has become enslaved in climate politics. I think their direction has been swayed by career aspirations, empire building, and personal moral crusades. I don't believe they are representing the views of the majority of New Zealand farmers. Possibly the board members and management team are suffering from noble cause corruption, where the end justify the means and they have been blindsided by the perceived reality and not the actual facts. How can Beef and Lamb say they're working for us when they are also receiving large funding grants from the government at the same time? I also want to say that farmers are not environmental terrorists. We don't mind playing our part for true, tangible environmental outcomes but we are being forced to swallow a very bitter pill that has no measurable outcome on the environment whatsoever. The reality of this nonsense is that the millions of dollars that have been spent on climate politics could have been spent making true, measurable benefits to New Zealand's environment. Imagine if all that money had been spent fencing waterways. And this is a very important point that I wish the public knew. It's a real insult to our intelligence and completely demoralising to ignore farmer concerns regarding le- the legitimacy of the climate science. It's like no one is allowed to talk about the elephant in the room. I think every farmer has a line in the sand and I think I speak for the majority of farmers that being forced to participate in this ideological nonsense is the straw that will break the camel's back and then what will our rural communities look like? when you have a mass exodus of mum and dad farmers from the industry. It's not a pretty picture for our communities or the country as a whole. And why has this reality and human factor not been considered? Um, I've spoken to hundreds of concerned farmers about this issue. And I honestly think that about 90% of farmers know that taxing and trying to reduce animal farts and burps in order to alter global temperatures is absurd, absurdity beyond belief. Even more absurd is the notion of being seen to be doing something. There is no room in our businesses for virtue signaling. Beef and lamb cannot continue to fob us off with excuses that markets and consumers are demanding climate conscious products when they are openly declaring. To the government, their encouragement and participation that New Zealand should take a leadership position on agricultural greenhouse gases. The arrogance of the Beef and lamb Board and Management is obvious as they refuse to acknowledge our concerns and are intent on riding roughshod on anyone that dares question their direction. They quickly get labelled as a climate denier and not worthy of a response. Why do they consider their moral crusade of saving the world superior over farmers' concerns about saving our industry, our communities and our economy? It's a sad state of affairs that differing views, values and stances can't be debated openly instead of being shut down and it shows how divided we have become as a country We are allowed where we aren't allowed to have robust discussions anymore. There was a great moral philosopher called Eric Vogelin who described the dream world phenomenon. These people live in a dream world. Things that normal people consider morally insane become legitimate means by which to achieve their dream world goals. It's beyond comprehension for someone who doesn't live in the dream world. Are we going to be left with an industry only composed of corporate and government farms because the mum and dad operators have been left financially and emotionally ruined? And what would our rural communities look like then? I think if you surveyed all of New Zealand farmers as to whether they thought it was a good idea to lead the climate change charge by being the first to implement new biotechnology, I can guarantee I know what the answer would be. And I'll just finish with this last point. I would like people to stand up for our industry and speak out, because if nothing changes, then you can expect to see climate being classified as an invincible reason to do drastic and illogical things to ruin our economy, destroy capitalism, and enslave us even further.
0: Yeah. Well, Helen, that's heartfelt, and that's uh, a very strong message. Yeah, I'm grateful that you've taken the time to to formulate your ideas, express them today. Um, You've got family proud of you for what you're doing. Uh, I know that. And uh, the the farmers in your area need to get alongside you and support you. It's certainly a, a problem, isn't there, when success for all the stuff that we've just talked about which means, uh, if 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 the beef and lamb and the others had their way, no one can tell you what success looks like. No one. So all the stuff you've just said, I know um, you're very nervous about it, and and um, you put a lot of effort into it, but it resonates with so many people. What is success like? Why are we creating all this anxiety? Why are we putting all this tension inside the farm gate? It has no merit. So. Helen, we're just uh, in indebted that you've taken the time to formulate your ideas, come on our show and present them. It takes courage, and um I think uh, I hope our listeners enjoy your your passion. So um thank you, thank you for coming on.
2: Thank you. and thank you, Donna Jespreet, for everything that you're doing as well. Right back at you, Helen. Thank you so
0: much. Just Breet Boparai and Don Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR, Reality Check Radio.